What's up, everybody? Welcome back to the Seven Figure Flipping Podcast. This is Bill Allen. Today, we are in Park City, Utah at our Seven Figure Altitude event. It's absolutely amazing. We're in the middle of day one, and I am wanting to get a podcast out to you guys today about our Accelerator event. It's coming up in just uh, next week, and what I want to do is I want to play a uh, recording of one of our sessions last year. It was absolutely amazing. Mike Simmons killed it. He talked about partnerships. And it's something that I talked about recently, some things that I'm going through in my business, Blackjack. And when I went back and listened to it, it was very fitting and we fit a lot of these uh, check marks. So if you're out there, you've got a partner, you're thinking about partnering, uh, or you're just interested in coming to our accelerator or learning more about it, this is gonna be a great intro to what you're gonna hear and see um, at that event. So I highly encourage you guys to come, go to sevenfigureflipping.com slash accelerate, sevenfigureflipping.com slash accelerate. It's 100% free and we're giving away five $1,000 checks at this event. So you've gotta be there, you can show up for free, go home with $1,000. What kind of other place can give you that kind of opportunity? So uh, go sign up and um, over the next 30 minutes or so, Mike Simmons is going to talk to you about partnerships. And recently I had somebody who reached out to me and asked me whether he should bring on a partner or not. Somebody who I respect, uh, somebody pretty uh, has a great business that's going. And I told him to go back and listen to this episode. So I thought, um, what more fitting for you guys to hear right now than uh, to kind of jump in and listen to last year's presentation from Mike. So here we go. My name is Bill Allen, and I'm the leader of a group of elite house flippers and wholesalers called Seven Figure Flipping. We don't brag or show off our success, but instead let integrity and stewardship be our guide. We are dedicated to helping people unlock the freedom they desperately need. If you ask other real estate investors, they will say to keep your secrets quiet. But we believe in abundance, not scarcity. And that's why we are the elite. We are Seven Figure Flipping, and this podcast is our playbook. But I do want to talk about partnerships because, you know, Bill does, like he said, he let me choose what I could talk about. And I only really want to ever talk about things that I'm totally passionate about. And I'm passionate about partnerships, but not necessarily in the way that you might anticipate because I publicly have had a partner, a business partner for a long time and it's gone great, right? But I've had bad partnerships too. And I've seen both sides of it. And because I have a business partner and have had one for a while, I get a lot of questions from a lot of people. When I show up at events or our masterminds and things like that, um, partnerships become a question that I get because like I said, I've had this partnership for a while. It's been very successful and people want to know, but it scares me because we talk about KPIs. We talk about sales. We talk about marketing. We talk about hiring like Terry just did. And there's a lot of importance surrounding all of those subjects. But I think what people do without a whole lot of research and without a whole lot of thought is they jump into partnerships. So I want to talk about that today because I firmly, I'm positive there are people on this call. I'm positive. There's a good chunk of you that have either thought about partnering are currently thinking about partnering or someone is bugging you to partner. I guarantee it. I guarantee you fall into one of those categories for a lot of people. So I want to talk about how to create those partnerships, make them powerful and how to avoid the, the disastrous ones. And they can be disastrous. So let's start off by talking about some partnerships that we know worked out pretty well, right? Even if they didn't get along publicly, the end result was Microsoft, Google, Apple, Twitter, Hewlett Packard, Ben and Jerry's. These are all great famous partnerships that almost everyone's heard of, right? They all turned out pretty well for these folks. They all made a lot of money. 
There's some ones that didn't work out so well. Very publicly, Eduardo Saverin and Mark Zuckerberg, right? Eduardo kind of got the short end of the stick. Didn't work out for whatever reason, right? One of them maybe just wasn't a great guy. They had different directions. We all know that story. John D. Rockefeller and Maurice Clark. Does anybody know who Maurice Clark is? You don't have to raise your hand because probably you don't. I don't. I've never heard of them. We've all heard of Rockefeller. They were business partners for a while until they had a differences of opinion. Uh, Maurice got bought out. Rockefeller took over. The rest is history, right? The most, the most, uh, the richest person in the world ever. So why partner at all? Why bother? Well, you see this guy, you see how lonely he looks. That's why a lot of partnerships happen. You want someone to talk to. You want someone to bounce ideas off of. You want someone who can share the struggles and, and can even celebrate the wins. And, and that's, that's legitimate to want someone to do that. But I say upgrade your friends, start hanging out with other people because it's very expensive to take on a partner just to have a buddy, right? That's not really a great reason for it, but people do it all the time because being an entrepreneur can be lonely, right? A lot of times, even our spouses don't really understand what it's like, especially if they're not involved in the business. Um, parents, brothers, sisters, friends. I know my family and my friend group, when I first started my business, became an entrepreneur, they couldn't relate to any of it, you know, to all of it to them was foreign. And the most feedback I got was, wow, sounds risky. I don't know if I would do that. Well, you really aren't you afraid? Maybe you should go back to work. Like it was all these kind of things. So having a partner can be very comforting because it's someone who's in the trenches with you, who gets the struggle. But trust me, that is not a good enough reason to partner. Okay. But there are a couple of benefits that are very legitimate to partnering. And, and I'm going to go over those three very, very kind of quickly here. But benefit number one is having a true sounding board, somebody who actually does. So one of the reasons people do it, right? They're lonely. They want someone to talk to. Being lonely is not a good reason. But bringing someone in, one of the benefits, if it's the right fit, and we're going to talk about very detailed how to know if it's the right fit. But if it's the right fit, you do have someone who's on board, who's invested, who understands the problems, who understands the vision and has the same goals as you, that can be very, very powerful, right? But to have a sounding board, you don't need a partner. You can join a mastermind, right? Join a mastermind of people who are doing everything that you want to do and use them as your sounding board. It's a lot cheaper, a lot less legal entanglements if it doesn't work out. You don't have to be completely in business with someone to have a sounding board. But if you do have a partner and if all of the criteria that I'm going to go over later in this presentation, if it meets all those criteria, this is one great benefit of having, of having a partner. Another one is you can take time off, right? It shouldn't be your sole reason for doing it because as I get into some of the, the factors that you should be taking in consideration when you partner, um, someone taking too much time off is part of it. But the reality is if you have a partner, 50-50, and when I say partner, by the way, guys, I should have said this in the beginning. When I say partners, I'm talking about a 50-50, you have an LLC or a C-Corp or an S-Corp or whatever your entity is, like you're all in, you own half of the company, they own half of the company. That's the kind of partners I'm talking about. Um, but when you have that and it's right and it works and it functions properly, taking time off, going on vacation. I have a partner. I can go on vacation and I know that I have someone who cares as much as I do about my business running things and, and they're taking care of things for me and vice versa. When he goes on vacation, I can watch the, I can, you know, watch the store, so to speak, and I can make sure that things are going well and I'm totally invested. So that's a huge benefit. It's a huge benefit, especially if time with your family and time off if that means something to you now, when you partner with people, understand, especially if you're 50-50 partner, and Bill used to give me a lot of, a lot of, he'd joke around, give me a lot of grief about this. 
you're splitting profits in half too. So if you willing to split your profits with somebody to get that time off, then maybe that's something that you should consider. Maybe that's for you, but just remember there, there's a price to having a partner. Even the ones that work well, there's a price to it. And of getting time off and being able to go on vacation and, and being able to not have to worry 24 seven by yourself is something that's interesting to you. Again, that's another benefit. And then the last one that I wanna talk about is the exponential increase in your business potential. So the, the phrase that I like to use or the saying that I like to use is if your partnership is one plus one equals two, meaning alone, I can generate $100,000 in profit, but I can bring on a partner and we can generate $200,000, right? Why bother? What's the point? You're just adding complexity to your life to just double profits just so you can split them down the middle and end up with the same thing. I say that's a waste of time. Now, if one plus one can equal four or eight or 10, now that's something because you by yourself maybe have a $100,000 profit business, nice little business. But if you bring on the right partner and you can go up to a million dollars in profit and you split that in half, you're exponentially better off, right? So that makes sense. One and one cannot equal two. It can't in a partnership. It's a waste of time for both of you. It's just wasting everyone's time. But if one plus one equals 10, now you might have something. So that's something to consider. That's one of the benefits. But I have four requirements when partnering. Now, this is not four requirements that I came up with yesterday or the day before. These are four requirements that I came up with over the last 10 to 12 years of having partners that didn't work out and having partners that do work out or did work out. And these, these requirements that I'm gonna talk about right now, it literally is the playbook to knowing whether or not you should partner in my opinion, because like I said, it's gone poorly and it's gone well. So these are the requirements that I think are absolutely critical for you as you go forward and try to identify this. So identical risk tolerance. If the person that you're planning on partnering with if you guys don't agree on risk, in other words, we're gonna take on this deal. We're gonna do this deal. It's a $500,000 purchase price. We're gonna put another 500,000 into it and sell it for 1.7, right? Those are big numbers. In some parts of the country, those are astronomic numbers. Like those numbers barely exist in my market. But in California, that could be a realistic number. If that is scary to one of you and you're like, no, 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 it's too much, too much money. I don't wanna get involved in that much money. And the other partner is saying, oh my gosh, that's just the starting point. I wanna do $10 million deals in another year or two. Like that's where I wanna be. You're gonna have problems, man. You gotta have risk tolerance that's similar. If someone's constantly pushing the brake and the other person's constantly pushing on the gas, you're gonna have conflict. So risk tolerance is huge. Now, I'll tell you a quick story from my personal experience. One of my first, my actual very first partner in business was my wife. My my current wife, and she's great. She's smart. She's smarter than I am in a lot of ways. She's really good with details, which I am not good with details. And we went together on this. And once we got into it and we were making offers and we did our first deal, once we did that first deal, I was like off to the races. Like we're gonna make 10 offers a day. Like I wanna get five deals on a contract by the end of the week. I went, I was going crazy. She was like constantly pushing her product, like slow down, slow down. And we got to a point where we were doing a couple deals a month 
And, and she was just like, the roller coaster ride of this business is stressful for me. She was a full-time teacher at the time. She, she just actually retired, but full-time teacher. And she's like, I can't do this because I'm, I can't sleep at night. And I was having, I was sleeping like a baby because risk doesn't bother me. So I was like, yeah, let's just make 10 more offers tomorrow. I know that one, you know, fell through or the contractor quit and we don't know what we're going to do, but let's just keep making offers. That's how I am. And she's like, no, why would we do that? Like, let's just fix this problem. We got to slow everything down. Well, at some point she just said like, this roller coaster is tough for me and I need to, I need to back out. You have my full support and I, I know you're going to be great, but I just don't want to be in the day-to-day -day of the business. And I said, okay, I understand that. Once she stepped out, like there was no break on this car. It was all gas for me. So that risk tolerance for us, she was, she was sort of keeping me safe in a way, but she was also like stifling the potential. We couldn't do any more than we were doing because that was her level of comfort. And then once she backed out and I took over, it's just, it just took off, right? And I made more mistakes, trust me. There were way more mistakes happened after she left, but I recovered, right? We all know that we can recover from mistakes. So it's not the end of the world, but risk tolerance. Now, luckily we're married. It didn't affect our marriage. She just sort of backed out. But if you're like legally bound to someone who you're not married to in this business, it's like a marriage. And if it splits up, it can be really, really ugly. So. Risk tolerance is one thing you have to be aware of. The other one is alignment of goals, okay? If, if my goal is to, let's just say we start on a road trip, okay? We get in a car, we're in New York, and we say, let's go west, okay? I want to go west, you want to go west, let's get in the car, we're going to head west. But somewhere along the way, if I find out that you, who's riding shotgun in my car, heading west, we're on the same path, I find out you want to go to Chicago, so at some point, you're going to go up to 55 and you want to go to downtown Chicago. That's your destination. And my destination was California. Imagine the conversation that's going to take place somewhere when we hit Indiana, right? It's going to be like, wait, what are you talking about? We're heading west. And you're like, yeah, head west until we get here. And then we're going to go up to Chicago. And I'm like, no, 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 no. I want to go to California, right? So in, in our world, what that could be is, hey, we're starting this business and one of you wants a lifestyle business. Maybe you wanna get up to that million dollars in revenue or million dollars in profit and just kind of keep it there, keep it steady. Let's just, let's just have a nice income and just take a lot of time off and let's not have growth. Let's not hire a bunch of people. Let's just kind of keep it small and keep it all and, and uh, we'll just keep this thing small. And the other person says, no, 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 no. I want a $10 million business. Like I want this to be 10 million in the next three or four years. And then beyond that, I wanna, I wanna see, maybe I wanna go bigger. And the other person says, no, no, I just want a million. Well, if you don't talk about that in the beginning, you just go into business and all you're trying to do is get your first deal done, right? Let's just do a deal. Let's flip a house. Let's see what we can do here. And you flip a house and you make money and you guys are both excited because you haven't gotten to the first person's goal, which is a million dollars. And when you get there, if you have employees and you're all entangled and you realize, oh, you want a $10 million company. I just want a $1 million company, right? conflict. It's not going to work. You're going to have to probably dissolve the company because somebody's not going to get their way and they're going to be very unhappy. So that's huge. Common hunger. Uh, so what I mean by that is if you and I go into business and I have a wife, I have kids, um, I like to vacation. And you notice when you text me after five o'clock, I don't text you back until the next morning, somewhere around 10. And every weekend I'm in Michigan, we're going up to the lake and we're going to just hang out at our lake house every single weekend. So I'm kind of shutting it down. And about once every six weeks, we like to go away for a week, my wife and I, and take the kids and just kind of have a vacation, right? You, on the other hand, you're working until midnight. You're falling asleep on your keyboard. 
you're constantly working. You don't take weekends off. Maybe you don't have a wife and kids and, and, and you have like all this time that you can spend. So you're working weekends, you're working nights, you're not taking vacations because you're trying to build something. And I'm like, man, I'm at five o'clock. I'm tired. I'm done. I'm just going to hang out with the fam. We're going to watch TV. We're going to go up to the lake house on the weekends. And you know, every month, month and a half, we're going to go take a week off, take a vacation, right? How long do you think that's going to last? How long will that relationship go well? Now, I had this happen to me very similar. I started a house flipping business in the city of Detroit. I partnered with somebody back then. This was about six, seven years ago. I partnered with him because he grew up in Detroit. He knew Detroit. He knew the, the ins and outs of the city and the neighborhood. So he felt like I know where to buy. I know where not to buy. And I'm going to handle, he said, I'm going to handle the renovation. I'm going to handle dealing with all the contractors. I know where to buy. So I'll pick the houses. All he wanted me to do was go raise money and bring in investors so that we could kind of keep this machine going. So as we started going along, I'm bringing investors into town from all over the place and we start some renovations. And next thing I know, renovations aren't happening. And I, I was a house flipper at the time. And I'm like, wait, hold, what's going on? Houses aren't being renovated. Excuse, excuse. Next thing you know, I'm out there. I'm talking to contractors. We have contractors walking off the job because my partner's not returning their calls. And next thing you know, I'm pulling them back on the job. I'm getting up to speed. Pretty soon, I'm bringing in investors. I'm renovating the houses. I'm finding houses. I'm doing everything. And I had a conversation with him. I said, man, what are you doing? And he's like, yeah, I'm really sorry. Excuse, excuse. Until I finally had enough of doing everything in the business. And I, I just said, this can't continue. I can't keep doing this. You're not pulling your weight. You're not doing anything that you said you're going to do. And I had to dissolve it. Now, it was a short-lived business. We were only doing it for like six, eight months. So there wasn't a lot to like unwind. I just said, let's finish these renovations. Let's get them sold. And, and we'll just walk away and no hard feelings. And I don't want to fight about it. And he's like, yeah, that's fine. Because he knew he wasn't doing what he said he was going to do. So having a common hunger, you cannot partner with someone who's on the couch with a beer on their stomach, you know, watching uh, Netflix all day long. You need someone who's going to be in the trenches with you. If you guys decide as a team, we're done at five, we don't work weekends, great. As long as you're on the same page, that's what's key. Okay, complementary skill sets. Now, I told you early on, I have a partner. I've talked about it on stage. I've, I've mentioned it in my book, all those things. I have a partner and it's worked really, really great. I stumbled onto these requirements that I call them now the requirements, but I stumbled onto them on accident. I didn't really realize what I was doing when I partnered with him. I had not had a successful partnership. I'd had some that failed and I partnered with him really probably earlier than I should have because I didn't really understand what having a good partner meant. I got lucky on a lot of these and complementary skill set is probably one of the most common mistakes that people make. They hire someone who's just like them. If they're outgoing and they're great at sales and they're great at meeting people and they're great at getting contracts, they're attracted to people like that. So they tend to bring people on their team who have those same skills which is fun at a party, but that's not really what you want in business. I'm more of an introvert. Like Bill mentioned, he's more of like a, a natural introvert. I'm a natural introvert. So in my business, when I was going out on the road and I was going into people's houses and getting contracts and answering phone calls and, and creating rapport with sellers and all those things, it was harder for me because it doesn't come natural for me to to socialize like that. I'm not great at it, I can do it. And so as a salesperson in my company, I was probably barely adequate. I thought I was okay when I was doing it, but when I brought my partner on and who was a natural salesperson and a very uh, extroverted person, 
and I saw him doing what I was trying to do, I realized how bad I was. Have you ever had someone where you thought you were good at something and they come along and they're just so much better? It's like, it's kind of embarrassing. Actually, I thought I was pretty good, but I'm not that good. This guy's really good. So that's what happened with me. I brought someone in who was kind of opposite of me in skill set, but he had the same risk tolerance. He had the same goals that I had. And he had the same uh, work, like the same uh, work ethics that I had, right? So I got real lucky with that. I knew he had complementary skill set. That was the one thing I knew I needed to do is bringing someone who compliments me. And Terry mentioned it in his uh, presentation. I didn't like going on sales calls. I just didn't like it. I'm not good at it, and I struggle, and I it's awkward for me because I just don't have that skill set. So I liked the fact that I was bringing someone in who could take over that aspect of my business that. I'm not intuitively like super great at, but that first relationship I had, that first business partner that I had where we were doing stuff in Detroit and we were flipping houses and he was supposed to know what he was doing. He had, he didn't really have a complimentary skill set because he was doing the renovations. I had that skill set. I, I could have taken on the renovations myself. Honestly, I probably shouldn't have been the one raising money at that time. I didn't have very much, uh, I didn't have very much experience talking to people like that. So I was going out and trying to do something that was a little bit outside of my skill set. I was giving him the job that was in my skill set, and our goals were different. Our risk tolerance was different. Like it was all just bad. I only partnered with him because he approached me, and I had never had a partner before other than my wife in business. He approached me, and like he pursued being a partner with me. And it was flattering. And that's probably part of the reason why I accepted it. And I think everyone sitting here, some, all of you have various size businesses. So some of you probably are doing deals and maybe a lot of deals. And if that starts happening, you will have people who will approach you and say, hey, let's partner, right? And if you've been doing this for a long time and you have done a lot of deals, like think back, how many people have asked you to partner in one way or another? And it's tempting, especially if you're a little bit lonely in business, you don't have a spouse that gets it, or you don't have a spouse or any support group that really understands what you're doing. You're not in a mastermind. When someone approaches you to partner, it sounds great. It sounds easy. And it's easy to not really um, evaluate the situation very well. So the evaluation process and like the attention to understanding who you're partnering with is similar to hiring someone. The mechanics are a little bit different and what you're looking for is a little bit different, but you should never hire somebody just on liking them or being flattered that they want to work for your company, right? That would be crazy. But people take on partners and they give away half of their business because they're flattered that someone wants to work with them or they meet someone at a lunch and the person impresses them and next thing you know, they're partners, right? The, par the guy that I partnered with, I did meet him. He brought me out for lunch. He, it, was, it was flattering. He wanted to take me out, pick my brain. He wanted to get into real estate, but I hired him to be my sales guy first. So that's key. Most often when people feel like they need to bring on a partner, what they actually need is to hire somebody. They need help. They're not good at something. Because I'll tell you what, you can bring a salesperson in, send them off to do sales. You can still sit down with them and talk a little bit of strategy, bounce things off of them, especially if they've been at high level positions and companies. Like absolutely, if you respect what they're doing and they're doing a great job for your company and they bring a lot of value into the company, like why can't you talk to them a little bit, right? Maybe not exactly the same as a partner, but trust me, most people, when they come to me and say, hey, I think I want a partner, I usually say, not when they want to partner with me, but when they want my advice, I'll say, why do you want a partner? What is it It's happening that makes you think you need a partner? Well, I'm going out on sales calls and I'm not really good at it. And this guy's a really good salesperson. I'll go hire him. 
bring them in, hire them to work for you. They don't need to be your partner, but you need the help. I, I agree with that. But why would you give away half your company to someone who, when you need help with sales, right? That wasn't why I partnered with my, my partner. He was good at sales. He was complimenting me. That was great. But I hired a dispo guy that I, I really like too. He's really, really great. I didn't partner with him. I've had phone people that work for me. They answer phones. They do a great job at that. I didn't partner with them, right? Don't partner with someone just because you need help. You hire people when you need help. You partner when there's something more to be brought to the table. When one plus one can equal eight, right? That's when you partner. When they bring significant value that you don't have and they're not necessarily looking for a job or that's not really where they fit, then, then think about it. But these are the four requirements that I say are absolutely non-negotiable. You must have these or you're, you're, not one of these can be, well, I got three out of four, good enough. 75% is an E in this, in this test. It's not a pass. Okay, all the requirements are met. Now what? I say you find someone, you want to partner with them, all the things match, risk tolerance, hunger, all these things, you guys are perfect. Go on a few dates. And by that, I don't mean literal dates. I mean, do some deals together as separate entities, right? If they have an LLC, you have an LLC, just go in on a project together as 50-50 partners on a project. You don't have to immediately form a company, give away half of the equity in your company, and just go full on partners. I say work with them on a few deals. Do a few, deal, a few deals together and see if during the honeymoon period, if you see anything different from them, right? We all know I, I can go to a party of someone I don't really like that much, and I can be friendly, and that's all fine. But if you put me in a room with them, for six months, it's gonna come out that I don't really like them. Or if I'm pretending to be something I'm not, you put me with someone for six months, it's very hard to keep that up. So I say, do some deals with this person, partner with them in a kind of separate, but you know, go into it equally, but as separate companies, partner that way first, do that, right? That'll be a really great test to see because if they're not, let's just say it, if they're lazy, if they don't have risk tolerance, if they don't have the same goals as you, if they don't compliment you and skill set wise, it'll come out. It'll come out in those deals. So do that. It'd be like, you know, Terry talked about in his presentation how much money he left on the table by making bad hires. $100,000, he said, because I think of one sales guy that he did or didn't hire. Like he, he screwed that up and he cost him $100,000. Trust me, it'll cost you more than $100,000 if you partner with the wrong person and find out two or three years down the road. It'll cost you way more than that. So partnering is absolutely critical to get right. Now, here's some lessons learned for me. Partnering is a last resort. We talked about that a minute ago. If you feel this burning desire to partner, try finding someone to hire first. Bill said it. He's addicted to hiring people. Bill's not addicted to, to going partners with people. I know this, right? Like he has, he has partners in his business. He still retains control. And if you want to bring someone in as a limited partner or something, that's a totally different story. But I'm talking about giving away your half your company and give away half the control. I would say hire someone first, bring them in, hire them, see how they work. When I did that with my sales guy, he not only met the expectations that I had for him in terms of work ethic and all those things, he exceeded it. He was, he was a much harder worker than I even anticipated he would be. So that's good. And he did it over the course of several months, which was important. So don't hire right away. Like that should be the last resort. I, I honestly think the numbers probably are, for every 10 people that think they might wanna bring in a partner, probably it works out or makes sense for one or two of them, right? It's not half. It's usually less than half. So be careful. I use personality assessments. I told you I'm not very detail-oriented. Detail I've taken more personality assessments than I even care to think about. 
all of them come back in certain ways exactly the same. It doesn't matter if it's the Colby, the disc, culture index, doesn't matter. Without question, you do not want me checking documents for accuracy right before they get utilized. I know I'll screw it up. I'll miss something. You don't want me dotting your I's and crossing your T's. That's not my strong suit. I'm not a detailed person. Also, if you want me to do something that requires a lot of patience, forget it. I'm not your guy. I don't have the patience for things that take a lot of patience. I struggle with that. I'm, I'm very antsy. I'm, I have like, I want things to go fast, right? So no detail. I want things to go fast. But talking about the disc, for example, the D, very, very high. I'm a driver. I'm, I'm an entrepreneur. I like to go out and hunt. That's just what I want to do. I want to build things. I, I don't want to be told what to do. I don't have any patience. So all these assessments, I have to look at that and then measure it up against the person that I'm partnering with or hiring, like in Terry's case, when he was talking about hiring, like you want to know what the person's base uh, personality is like. Now, these assessments don't tell you every single, every single thing about them. It doesn't tell you everything that's going to happen with them, but it tells you how they're predisposed. And I want to know if I'm partnering with somebody and they have no detail and they have no patience, like it could be we either. And by the way, my partner doesn't have a lot of detail, right? So we're not a hundred percent like jigsaw puzzle kind of a fit, but we knew when we looked at our assessments, we have to hire for that. We have to bring in people that are detailed or this ship is going to go down because there'll be a million holes that we don't even, we're not even aware of, right? So we need to bring people in who have that detail level. So that's huge. Know who you're partnering with at a base level. Do the assessments. Figure out if how, how different you guys are. Have clearly defined roles. This is huge. You do not want to get into a situation where somewhere down the road you're going, I thought you were going to take care of that. And they go, no, 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 no. You said you were going to take care of that. It's like, well, I'm pretty sure you said you were going to take care of that, right? That's horrible. It happens all the time. Have clearly defined roles, right? doesn't mean you can't help each other. In business and in, in a teams, we all have to like help each other. But you don't want your partner to be the sales guy, but yet you're going out on sales calls too, but you're also doing some other stuff and you're doing project management. Maybe you're chucking the books and he's doing sales, but you're doing some sales. It doesn't work. It doesn't make sense. You have to draw lines in the sand. What are you ultimately responsible for and what are they responsible for? doesn't mean you can't help each other. doesn't mean you can't cover for somebody when they're gone or on vacation, right? But ultimately, you have to know where your responsibilities lie. And if things fall apart in that area, it's nobody else's fault. It's your fault because that was your responsibility. So draw those lines clearly so that partners don't get confused about who's in charge of what. And then ultimately, things aren't happening because you think the other person was doing it. Okay. Review roles and other aspects of your partnership on a quarterly basis. Do not create roles and responsibilities for you and your partner and say, see you in five years. Let's hope this works. It, it probably won't. There's, there's going to be an evolution of your business. Things are going to change. You're going to find out, hey, like in my case, maybe my sales guy's superpower is sales. And I also gave him or he took on this other responsibility in our company. Turns out he's not great at that. He's good at sales. We're right about that. He's horrible at this other thing. So we have to pull that off his plate and we have to re-scramble things and figure out what we're going to do. Your core competency, your superpower is probably not going to change. But some of the other stuff that you're doing might, might change. So every quarter we sit down, we look at the whole company, including ourselves, and decide, A, are we good at what we're 
supposed to be uh, responsible for? Are we good at it? Or B, do we have the right people on that team that's, help, that's allowing us to get good at that? And if we're not sure, if it's not happening, we might have to scramble some of those responsibilities. Or if it's something that, hey, I took on this responsibility and I said I would do it, and I did, but I hate it. I can't stand this part of what I'm doing. So we need to talk about it. Either I give that to my partner and he gives me something he was doing, or we bring someone on to, to do that. Whatever it is, but you have to review these. Do not set it and forget it because resentment can build over time, every week, every month, every year, more and more and more resentment because the roles maybe aren't fair. Maybe they seem fair when you start off. Here's what you're going to do. Here's what I'm going to do. You get six months down the road, a year down the road, you realize the workload on one person is way more than on the other person. You might have to adjust it a little bit. So review those things constantly, at least once a quarter. I say create a buy-sell agreement. So I'm not going to get deep into this. I'm not a lawyer and I, I'm not, I don't even like, I can't speak to you at a high level on buy-sell agreements, but here's a definition. I pulled it right out of Wikipedia. <clears throat> it's basically just a legally binding agreement that talks about what happens if someone dies, one of the co-owners die, forced to leave, chooses to leave, whatever. You guys just don't get along. Like what happens to uh, what my half of the business? How does that get resolved? How much am I owed or how do, how do we break this apart uh, legally? How do we decide to do this and do it up front? Don't do it when you have a $10 million business. That's not the time to create these agreements. Create them when you're smaller and revisit them maybe once a year just to make sure they still make sense. But don't wait until there's $10 million in the bank and then try to come up with this because somebody's not going to probably have a real clear idea of what, they are, or what they're owed or what they should be paying somebody. So be careful about that. Join a mastermind. This is huge because even though you have a partner, now I've got a sounding board. Trust me, the more people you surround yourself with, the better you're going to be. Because you know, when my partner and I joined Seven Figure Flipping, for example, uh, we met people like Andy and Terry and Becca and Bill. I mean, all these folks that have had a significant hand in my business growing and forming and the success that I've had. Like huge part of that. I wouldn't have met him if I wasn't there. Just me and my partner, we were doing fine and we probably would have grown. And maybe we would have grown a lot, but we wouldn't have grown as fast. We wouldn't have grown as responsibly and as effectively and efficiently if we didn't have other people around us who are kind of helping us, listening to us, that sounding board, board of directors, whatever you want to call it. There's a core group of people that you'll kind of get really comfortable with that are going to help you along the way. And masterminds are absolutely critical for that. And then finally, trust your gut. I have made more mistakes in my business because my gut was telling me not to do it, but I really wanted to because maybe I needed something. And, and a lot of times it's hiring, right? You can hire someone and they, they look great on paper, but your gut is telling you, this doesn't feel like a good fit, but I need this person. I need someone in this role, so you hire them. People do it in partnerships all the time. I've heard it more than once. Partnership doesn't work out. What happened? Well, I'll talk to him. What, what happened? What, what, what went wrong in the partnership? It seemed like you guys were great. Well, you know, it seemed like it was, and it was really, I was having a hard time keeping up. I brought him on, but even when we partnered, like something told me maybe it wasn't going to work, but I just ignored it because I really needed the help and I didn't know what to do. And, and so we partnered. So trust your gut. If you, if everything else checks out, risk tolerance, common hunger, all the things that I told you, but your gut is screaming that something isn't right, don't do it, like trust it. Sometimes your gut will keep you safe. So trust your gut at the end of the day. It's not about just like checking boxes and yes, they got, yes, they meet that. I'm partnering no matter what, right? If your gut's saying don't do it, at least tap the brakes, think about it, okay? Don't, don't just do it because you need help. Needing help, that's why you hire people. You partner because you want one plus one to equal eight or 10.
All right, guys. That's all I got. All right, let's give it up for Mike Simmons. As we watch Bill's desk raise. <laughs> <laughs> Mike did like the mic drop and uh, let's see, is this right? I got like five cameras here. Yes, all right, right. Uh, we're, we're trying to up our tech level here in the studio. <laughs> this is like a mini studio to do some of these virtual events. We've done a bunch of virtual events. So we did like a veterans event was a virtual event. Our last mastermind event was a virtual event. This one has gone from Chicago, then we had to move down to Nashville last minute and we put all this stuff together for Nashville. All these things are getting ordered to my, to my house and my office. And now uh, last week we said, well, we have to go virtual to, for the Nashville event. So we set up all this tech in the office here and uh, that's what you see. So let's give it up for Mike Simmons again. We didn't really give him a, yeah, like that. Dude, that, um, some of that stuff I wrote down. I give myself an applause. Could you have been here for the other five speakers to help me out a little bit? All right. <laughs> Uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna use that mic or that mixer tomorrow or whatever it is. So, all right. Um, you know, a couple of things that I pulled out of there for partnerships was very interesting. Mike said like Bill does not like partners. He absolutely doesn't. And uh, I've always given Mike kind of a hard time because they I just kind of joke with him is like, well, you can make this much money, but you only get half of it. And uh, in the beginning, when it's all about money, that that was I don't know, kind of the way that I thought. And now. What I've seen is bringing, like Mike talked about a couple partners. I, I brought in this kind of board of directors for this company, Seven Figure Flipping. When I bought it, I said, hey, I, I need some, some high-level folks. I need some support. I need some, I need some ideas. I, I feel alone sometimes as an as a individual. Do you guys feel that way? Anybody feel kind of like alone in your business a lot? Even if, even, use business however you want. If it's just you, like, even, like I, even with a COO, like I feel like my COO is kind of like my partner in Blackjack, and we call each other that a lot. And he's just an unbelievable, amazing guy that I would absolutely partner on lots of different things. But I feel like, like that's what he was hired to do. I built that company. And at some point, we can, I, he came in and he was like, hey, I, I'm, I, this is what I want to do. Terry said, what do your people want to do? Ask him that. And he's like, I want to grow. Like, I want to build something. And I was like, well, you're, it's not going to be here. Like, you can be the COO here, but we might do something together in the future as partners. And we, we partnered on some other things. We're doing some commercial buildings and stuff like that now that we're partners on. And then obviously Mike's one of the partners in this business. And so just having him is great because him and I just get on like uh, calls to talk and I'll bounce something off him. Hey, I got this crazy idea. What do you think about it? And um, I'm always going to them for advice, right? That's like a, the board of directors. And when it was just me, seven figure flipping was my board of directors. Like all of these people that were at that first mastermind meeting that I went to, that was it. And Tyler mentioned the same thing. It's like, these are our people. So whether it's here or wherever you go, like whatever it is, you got to find those people, like those average of the five people, everything kind of, it's interesting when I listen to all of, all these folks present, there's a lot of similarities in all this, right? It's, it comes back to a lot of the methodologies and mindsets that we use and the stories that we're telling ourselves in our head of what's going on. So we feel alone. Entrepreneurship is like the loneliest thing in the world. I, uh, I shared a quote from Elon Musk. Let me see if I can remember it. Um, like uh, entrepreneurship is like, what do you say? Like eating glass and staring into the abyss of like, just it's, it was like miserable most of the time. And there's other quotes where you work like a hundred hours. So you don't for yourself. So you don't have to work 40 hours for somebody else. Like they, all the different things that we're doing as entrepreneurs and you're here doing all this stuff. How awesome was that? Mike Simmons absolutely killed it last year at the accelerator. And this year is going to be no different. You have to be there wherever you are in your business or your life. Stop things for two half days, that's what we're asking for. Friday afternoon, Saturday morning, 
learn some things, grow your business, get your first deal, your next deal. This is for people who are just getting started and for people who are growing and scaling their business. There will be something at this event for everyone. It's free. You guys got to show up. It's going to ramp you up and get you going and uh, get you running for the next three months leading up to Flip Hacking Live, which is our in-person event in Orlando. So go to sevenfigureflipping.com slash accelerate, get your spot, make sure you do it. We have a limit on the size of the event that we can have. And uh, it's going to be absolutely amazing. I'm really excited. Um, we got a lot of speakers. We got people that are flying in and driving in to the studio in Nashville. This year is going to be 10 times better than it was last year. So if you guys like that presentation, you're going to love what we do this year. Go to sevenfigureflipping.com slash accelerate, and I will see you in just a couple days. Bye.